Yes, I did. It was great. Right to the edge of my seat, all the way. If the Wofford coach would have gone for a field goal, they'd have gone overtime again. And his kicker, well, the extra point, but his kicker was good enough. Well, I'm a Carolina fan. She was sitting next to us. Oh, she actually likes to cheer, too. She's all into the game. Thank you. 
evening. Father, we thank you today for your love, mercy, and grace. Father, we thank you. You are a very present help in time of trouble. Lord, as we continue to worship you tonight, Lord, we ask that your presence would inhabit the praises of your people. Amen. Lord, just come down and make res residency with us this evening. Let us just feel your sweet spirit in the midst of us today. We forever thank you for all that you do for us each and every day. In Christ's holy and precious name we pray. And the people of God together said, Amen. 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 Let's sing this old hymn, of the, uh, this old chorus of the church. We're singing, this is the day.
Lord, today. We worship you today. We waited for this day. We've gathered in your name. We're calling out to you. Your glory like a fire. Awakening is
Hey. 
You may be seated tonight in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to go back with me to the book of uh, Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1 for me, please. Very familiar passage of Scripture. We ask that you would stand once you have it for the reading of God's Word. Daniel chapter 1. We begin reading in verse number 5. Once you have it there. Those joining online, thank you so much. Don't forget, you can always find more information about the church online. Uh, at SantiCircleCOG.org or at our church app as well. You can subscribe to the Apple or Google podcast. You can watch the services. You can also give online, uh, in-house, etc. Uh, don't forget we're still uh, on Sunday mornings in our series of The Table. And uh, we're going to be finishing up that the next couple weeks. Uh, this week coming up, this Sunday coming up, we'll have a table spread here before you. And uh, a seated table you'll get to come and sit and uh, for a moment and uh, help the pastor preach from the table. Uh, it'll be a special service where we're going to have a good time uh, in the Lord there as well. Those joining online, thank you for joining in-house. I know some are not able to be in-house tonight for various reasons, uh, but we're so glad that they're joining us online this evening. Daniel chapter 5, uh, we're going to begin reading uh, in verse, or Daniel chapter 1, and began reading in verse number 5. You're going to know this story very uh, familiar. Uh, we started part of it a couple weeks ago, but we didn't read all the way down. Bob says in the king, talking about Babylonian king, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he teleported, or if you will, deported some Israelite Hebrew boys. The king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat, of the new wine which he drank, to nourish them for the many years, and at the end thereof, that he might stand before the king. Among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Unto him was the prince of the eunuchs given the names, for he gave the name Daniel to Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Then Daniel purposed in his heart, he would not defile himself of the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who hath appointed your meat and drink. For why should he see your face likening worse than the children which are, you, are of your sword? Then... Ye shall make me endanger my head before the king. What he's saying in a nice way. Why are you going to put me at risk? If the king sees something bad's going on, he gets suspicious. He's going to blame me, and I'm going to be the one to pay the penalty. I want to continue what I thought I started uh, a couple Sunday nights ago before the community revival. Doing right, even when it's wrong. Doing right, even when it's wrong. Heavenly Father, I pray you would bless the reading of your word. I pray you would bless the hearers and the doers thereof. I pray you would hide me behind the cross of Calvary and help me to speak your word with the purpose that you have a design for and sent for it to do. 
For I love you and I praise you in Christ's holy and precious name. And the people of God said, Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord for a few minutes this evening. Doing right, even when it is wrong. Now the foundation of this particular message came, if you will, in prayer and study, preparing for the revival, and obviously God allowed me to get multiple messages, one for here and one for the community revival last week. The first time that we talked about this, two weeks ago, I read to you about the deportation of these Hebrew boys. I, I told you, and for those of you that uh, were at the uh, community revival, uh, just humor me for about five minutes to recap just a little bit. You all already have heard this, but, but the king of Babylon came and he overthrew and besieged the city of Jerusalem. And that word besiege literally means he basically camped around them and starved them out, if you will, of the city. And during that process, he sent some orders to have that some of the finest young men, the ones that were easily, uh, the Bible talks about they were quick to learn, they looked good, there was no fault found in them, they had good appearance, they were very attractive looking people, young men, but they were, they were smart, they were well-knowledged, well and they, they were quick to learn. And what he wanted to do was brainwash them into becoming Chaldean or Babylonian children. His goal was to take out all of the God, if you will, inside of them, the God of the Hebrews, to take that out of them and instill the literature. In fact, one verse actually says in Daniel chapter 1, he wanted to rear them or guide them in the way of the literature of the Chaldeans. He wanted them to learn what the Chaldeans believed. He wanted to take God Jehovah out and in return he wanted to put in the the poly, uh, the mono, excuse me, the polytheism uh, of the multiple gods of the Babylonian and Chaldean empire inside of them because what he thought would happen is that if he got them convinced to believe in the Chaldean way of life, then they would go back and infiltrate their families and get their families to uh, uh, pledge their loyalty to the king of Babylon and in return in a process similar to brainwashing, he would basically recreate a new society and get them to look at things differently and these young men would go over there and they would change everything and they would do everything and they would get their mamas and their daddies to agree to buy into this strategy, if you will. I said the other night at the community revival, it's the same scheme, just a little bit differently masked, if you will, no pun intended, by the enemy. The enemy is still doing that today. He is trying his best to find different loopholes and find different little ways of life and different little things he can do to kind of twist and pervert the word of God or get Christians to kind of doubt what they believe or get people to be scared, whether it's to go to church or whether it's to sing or whether it's to worship God, but get Christians to even doubt their own faith because his attempt is to try to get us to buy into his strategy and his vision in hopes that he will have us to do his dirty work, if you will, and affect everyone else in the body of Christ because we know that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. So the devil's attempt is if I can get just a few in there to be a little uncertain, to be a little scared, to be a little fearful, to be a little disruptive, to be a little uncertain of their beliefs and create disunity. And We know God's not the author of confusion. The devil knows if I can just get a few, I might be able to infect like leaven. I might be able to infect the whole group or the whole loaf. I'll be able to get everybody on board with my agenda. 
And that's what he still tries to do today. Daniel, we know that they have Hebrew descent. We know that his name is Daniel. He has three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know that they were not originally. Daniel became Belteshazzar. Hananiah became Shadrach. Meshach became Meshach. And Abednego, uh, excuse me, Azariah became Abednego. But we talked about at the community revival the, if you will, the fiery furnace experience of those three young men. We talked about their names of Hananiah meaning one thing and Azariah meaning one thing and, and, and Meshach, I mean, excuse me, Meshach meaning one thing. We talked about the names, about God is gracious according to Hananiah's name, that God is gracious. We talked about that Michelle's name meant that who is like God, there is no one like Jehovah. And we talked about how Azariah's name uh, simply meant that God is my help or God will help me. And so even though the king of Babylon wanted them to be known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, meaning I want to take away what your mama called you and what your daddy called you and what your heritage is and what's been prayed over you, what's been prophesied over you, what's been spoken over you, even though all these words that have been, you've been to church, you've been dedicated, and God's spoken over your life, and men and women have prophesied over your life, I don't want you to live by that name. I want to give you a, a different name. We talked about how the devil tries to distort our lives in such a way that when we get saved, we know God gives us a new name. But the devil doesn't want us to identify by the name God our Father gives us. He wants us to still identify as a liar or still identify as a sinner or to still identify as one that's lost. He doesn't want us to be called redeemed. He doesn't want us to be called saved or spirit-filled because he knows that's a threat to his kingdom. But their name, when they're standing in the middle of the fiery furnace, the three people standing in the fiery furnace is God is gracious and there is no one like God and God will help us in our time of trouble but they realized in this first part of Daniel this is the first test if you will of their faith we talked about how Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah when the devil realized he couldn't take them out together he tried to split them apart eventually Daniel his challenge was the lion's den and the praying and the not praying to the God of the Medes and the Persians the three Hebrew boys, his attempt was to put them in a fiery furnace, heated seven times hotter, and to destroy them. But before they all went out to their various individual trials, they had what I like to call corporate trials. Daniel had his own private life that he had to face his own struggles, just like you and I every day in our lives. We have times in our lives where we have to go to our own prayer closets and we have to go to our own uh, uh, Bibles and read the word of the Lord because it's not Sunday morning or Sunday night and the preacher's not preaching that day and we have to feast on God's word ourselves. There are times in our lives that we have to go and look for ourselves because we have our own what I call private or personal trials, whether it's our children, whether it's our marriage, whether it's our family, whether it's our job. We have our own personal problems and we have to fix those just like Daniel had his personal problems and the Hebrew boys had theirs. But there are some times in life that we have what we call corporate problems. We're in this fight, this fight of faith together. Even though I may have to go home tonight and pray in my prayer closet for my individual needs, the Bible is clear that that's why the Bible says we're supposed to come together and encourage one another and exhort one another and lift one another up so that when I'm struggling in my prayer closet, when I'm struggling with depression or I'm struggling with uh, isolation or I'm struggling with a battle of, of some kind of terminal illness or sickness, I'm struggling with a, 
a financial uh, a burden or a financial mountain that's facing me at a doctor's office or at a, at a lawyer's office that I can come to where my family is, my brothers and sisters of the faith, and I can grab their hand and we can interlock hands together and they can pray with me in that moment and, and their faith along with my faith can touch the heart of God and God can now move on my behalf because even though I may have personal problems and have personal pain and have personal things going on, that doesn't mean that we as a body of believers don't together have to come together and bring our problems and our pains together and pray one for another, fasting one for another. That's why the writer James said this. He said, if there's any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church and let them come up and let them be prayed for for the effectual fervent prayer of righteous men and women that availeth much. James didn't say that you couldn't pray for yourself, but what he did say, it's not always about praying for yourself. Sometimes you need to have other people on your side, interceding with you, in the gutter with you, and helping your ox. What the Bible says, Jesus said, he said, if you see your man, a friend, plowing in the day, and you see that his ox has stumbled and fallen in a ditch, would you not stop and help him get it out of the ditch so that he can basically continue to what he's got to do? It's the same way spiritually. Sometimes we're plowing on this journey called life, and we're trying to go, but every once in a while, our ox of life stumble. We get a little wayward. We get a little depressed. We get a little downtrodden. We get a little hurt, and we're kind of nursing our wounds, and sometimes it's nice when our brothers and sisters of the faith, when we're stumbled and we're falling, to come alongside of us and pick us up and say, I'm going to help you get your ox out of the ditch. I'm going to help you make it one more day. I'm going to lift you up till you can pray. I'm going to pray for you till you can pray for yourself. I'm going to fast and believe God for you until you can fast and believe God for you. It's nice for us to come together and help one another out in times of trouble. That's what it's designed to be. So the first problem they had is they faced that they were battling the same situation. See, Daniel is posed with a, if you will, a scenario of sorts. The prince of the eunuchs has brought them in and he has said to Daniel, the king has allotted a certain portion of meat that's designed for you guys that you're supposed to eat. But it was against dietary customs and laws. It wasn't about the meat and the wine and the delicacies. It was about principles to Daniel. We talked about he's faced with black. The first part of the sermon series we talked a couple weeks ago is that he's faced with a problem. The problem is, the king says you're supposed to eat this. The problem is, we took you, we've deported, we've deported you. You're now a deportee out of your homeland. You're now living in a foreign land away from your mamas and your daddies and your grandmamas and all your safe zone people, all your people that uplift you, your church people, your friends. You're away from all your help, Daniel. You're in our term. You're on our turf now. You're, you're on our, you, you'll do things on our terms now. We want you to learn the way of the Chaldeans, and we want you to eat this delicacy. And we read today, where we'll pick up now, we read today that the king provided for them. The Bible didn't say he starved them. The Bible said he's put on a spread for them. Meat, delicacies. I mean, the word of the Lord was very clear. He gave them daily provisions of the king's meat. That means he gave them part of the best choices of meat. 
Because the kings in that time, they didn't get the leftover scraps of meat. They got the first choice. They got the prime piece, the prime rib. The, they got the best of the best cut. The, when the butcher would butcher the, the, the hog or would butcher the, 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 the uh, cattle or whatever it is, they were, the king got the first choices of the meat, the best. The king didn't give them scraps. He gave them the best, if you will. He gave them, as the Bible said, daily provision of the king's meat. And he also gave them the same type of wine which he would drink. The best of the best. He wanted them to nourish three years. He wanted to fat them up. He wanted them to become Chaldeans. He wanted them to be brainwashed. He wanted to make them one of his own boys. Be able to walk around and toot his own horn and say, these are my boys. These are, my, these are the people I created. He wanted to basically become like God in terms of this is my creation. This is who I made. What he's doing, don't misread the reason he's giving them the best meats and the best wines and things of the king's uh, treasuries. It wasn't because he's just being a nice guy and he's just trying to you know, just be a good old Joe. He had an ulterior motive. And his ulterior motive is simply this. He simply was trying his best to bribe them. I'll give you the best. Boys, three weeks ago, you were scrapping for food because you were in a city that had my armies around it. You couldn't get to the field to get your vegetation. You couldn't get to the stalls to get the cattle. You couldn't do any. Boys, y'all were starving. Y'all were malnourished. Y'all had nothing to eat. But I found you. I saved you. I chose y'all out of all of the other boys and girls. I picked you and brought you now with me to Babylon. And I'm giving you steak like you've never eaten. You you've never even had steak cooked like this before, boys. I'm giving you the types of food you couldn't even afford to buy if you had money, boys. What he's doing is he's bribing them or literally trying to coerce them into his agenda. What he's doing in a nice way is a tactic to promote his final agenda. See, he's, he's the same guy that was starving them out just a few days earlier. Now he's trying to look like the Savior. Isn't that like how the devil works, though? The devil will scheme any way he can to try to be like a boa constrictor and squeeze the life out of you. But in the same token, every once in a while he'll kind of release just enough to make you think that he's doing you a favor. You know, well, I, I was there when no one else was there. And I did, he always, the Bible tells us, we talked about this morning, that there is sin, pleasure in sin for a season. Isn't that what he did to Adam and Eve? Doesn't that fruit look good? Now, why would God, why would God want to hold that back from you? If he's so loving and so merciful and so gracious, why would a God that says all the, why would he want to hold the best from you? I wouldn't hold the best from you. Why, why would God hold the best from you? And he kept promoting and perpetrating that lie over and over again. Till after a while, Eve started buying into the strategy. Does look good. That is some good looking fruit. Eventually he wore her down. So she took it. But the Bible is very clear that misery loves company. Teaches that principle all throughout Scripture. She didn't want to sin alone. You know what? When she bit that fruit, it did taste good. 
Because sin, there's pleasure in sin for a season. It was so good, she had to hurry up and go take it home to Adam. Baby, you ain't never tried nothing as good in your life. You ain't never in a million years had banana pudding like this lady made. Do you bet you got to try this? This is the best of the best. No, I'm not talking about the kind. Listen, real banana pudding's not yellow. It's white. Come on, somebody. Y'all know I'm preaching even though I can't make it. Come on. I know what it looks like. I couldn't make it, but I know what it's supposed to look like. See, banana pudding is yellow. That means somebody cheated. <laughs> they bought pudding. <laughs> and they kind of just found some wafers and mixed it up together and said, oh, I made this homemade. No, you didn't. You cheated. That's what you did. You read a box. Real banana pudding is the kind where it's cooked and it's whipped and it's white and it's hot and it's it's just it's just it it all you saliva tape for you put it in the spoon the spoon. I mean it's just you know it's cut you ain't even tried it yet and it's already good. I mean your your stomach's already cutting cartwheels and you ain't even put the spoon in your mouth yet. You already know it's that good. That's kind of how it was for Eve. He's like, honey, you ain't never tasted any fruit that tasted like this. And Adam said, What are you talking about? Honey, let me just try this fruit. And without asking any questions, he just, just takes a bite. The Bible says their eyes were open to what they've done. Immediately. They realize they've messed up. See, that's what sin does. Sin for a while will look good. It'll bribe you. See, the devil doesn't always come at us with the trap set so that we can see it's a trap. He doesn't always come with the gun pointed right at us. No, no, he's sneaky and crafty. He camouflages the trap. He hides it. He, he, he's described as, a, as, as, as someone that's like trying to trap the snare or the fowler. He, 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 he uses a decoy a lot of times. He, he hides sin and wraps it up in pretty bows and packages so that it doesn't look like it's going to do much damage. See, just like this king is bribing them for his own agenda, the devil does that today. I mean, we've talked about it at length. We know about it and the way the world's going today. If you're one of us, you have the best life. We got your back. We're looking out for you. You take our mandates. You wear our mask. You take the, you do, you, you know, and I'm having a conversation with Brian just the other day. I, I don't care if people take it. No, that's between them and God. And, and mass, I, like I said before, I, I don't really, that's their, pro, that's their prerogative. I, I'm never going to judge anybody for making their own decision for themselves. Never. I will never say, if anybody says, well, what's your stance? I'm going to say, it doesn't matter what my stance is. What's your stance? Because I shouldn't have to affect your stance. Now, if we're talking about abortion, we're talking about homosexuality, then that's a different animal. But I don't think whether or not you decide to take the flu vaccine, hello, preacher, or you take, the shingle shot, I don't ever, I don't go around asking anybody, now, did you take your flu shot this year? Oh, my God, you didn't take your flu shot? Don't come to church. I, don't, I can't be friends with you. Ain't nobody ever be asking that question. I ain't heard nobody walk around and be like, hey, hey, uh, you take your shingle shot yet? Does it matter? It's, that's their prerogative. I ain't heard anybody walk in church on a Sunday yet and say, did you, did you take your multivitamins this morning? I've never heard anybody ask this morning. Now, now, did you take your water pill before church? Because we 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 don't we don't care. But we're living in a society now. Did you take your COVID vaccine? Then all hell breaks loose on that answer. So the reality of it is, it's not so much more about the vaccine anymore. It's about a spirit of divisiveness and a spirit of division. That's what it is. Now, it's no longer about the shot. It's about dividing and conquering and causing disunity. The Bible says God is not the author of confusion. Now what this man perpetrated is no longer about even safety anymore. It's about creating havoc in the people of God. How do I know that? Because you see it on TV all the time. If you take it, 
do this, if you do that, if you do the other. I mean, we know there's there's journals out there. We know there's backing back there that the vaccine will maybe help to some degree some of the symptoms, but it's still not bulletproof. People that's taking the shot still can get it. There's there's different things. We know it's an airborne, so it's not really like a easy fix because it's an airborne virus type thing, just like colds and other things. I mean, yeah, you can mask symptoms, but there's still things out there. They float, they mutate, they make things, and it's just how that works. But the reality of it is they make it sound like if you do what we tell you, you act like us, we got your back. But if you stand out amongst the crowd, you're not like everybody else. You're ostracized and shamed for it. I didn't pick this picture just because I had nothing better, but I looked specifically for a picture like this. See, all the other light bulbs are the same. They're all the same. But that one LED bulb... And, the, you know, you can say, well, Pastor, these right here might be LED bulbs. Maybe. Maybe. They might all be LED bulbs. But all of these other ones are globe-shaped. That one is spiral-shaped. Because the reality is this. The devil is so good and so crafty, he can make things look like they all are the same thing and made out of the same mold and have the same ingredients. But upon further reflection, it's not the same. The devil can make you think that he's got your best interest at heart. He can make you think that he's looking out for your benefit and for your good. In fact, the Bible says, if we're not careful, that the wheat and the tares will grow together and only the farm. That's why the farmer said, don't go out there and just start grabbing stuff because you got to let it grow up to decide because you might pluck up good grain along with the bad grain. you got to wait and, and you have to use the winnowing fork and let the heavy grain fall and the chafe fly away. See, sometimes the devil will blend in with us in church. He'll make himself fit right in. He's LED bright bulb just like us, but, but somebody's got to look different to the world because everything else is blending in together. looks the same. They're offered provision. Daniel says, well... I don't think I can do that. What do you mean you can't do that? Daniel says, well, I know what the problem is. You, you brought me from my homeland. I get that. You've changed our names. I know you're giving me the best of the best, but I know God has a purpose for my life, and there ain't nothing you can do to take his purpose out of my life. Because I'm here to remind the body of Christ, though few in number here or those watching online or those that may stream this later from a different church or whatever, I'm here to remind somebody that he who began a good work in you, he is faithful to complete it till the very end. I also know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. I also know, for I have plans for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to cause harm, and to give you a hope and a future. I also know, the Bible says, that I can lay down my head and sleep at night, for the Lord will sustain me. I also know, the Bible said, that there might be times where Deadly pestilence and pandemics may hit, 
but that God can be a shield and a buckler, and he that dwells in the secret place can abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, he is my help, my very present help in time of trouble. I will lift up mine eyes from which cometh my help, for my help cometh from the Lord. He is the maker of heaven and earth. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying I don't care if the devil himself comes and tries to rename you, tries to repurpose you, tries to confuse you, tries to cause havoc and pandemonium of spirit. God has a plan and a purpose for you as an individual. God has a plan and a purpose for us as a corporate body of believers. God has a plan and purpose for a whole community of believers. God has a plan and purpose for His church. And if God has the plan and purpose, He will make sure it gets completed till the very end when it's time to be revealed. Daniel said, I'm not taking it. The Bible actually says in verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself. Means he thought about it real quick and said, no, no. It may sound good on paper, look good on paper. It may sound good to the ears. And other people might say, this is a good deal. I mean, this is a good deal. Shake your hand. This is a good deal. But Daniel could smell a rat in this plan. See, to everybody else, they'd have said, Daniel, what are you doing, man? You're getting the best meats, best sweets, best drink. You're living in a palace. Daniel, a couple weeks ago, man, you were homeless and starving. Daniel, ain't nobody got, you got it made, man. You got the job of jobs. You, you prince, you, you're up there with all the other eunuchs and, the, and, and leaders in the house. I mean, you are, you're important, man. You're living in a palace now. You're eating... Food you can't even afford to buy if you had a job, man. You got it made. You ever heard anybody ever tell some? You ever heard anybody ever tell that to somebody? Oh man, you just got it made. Man, I wish I had a life like you. You got it made, man. I wish I had a car like that. You got it made. Oh, I wish I had a job like you, man. You got it made. Yeah, yeah, you might. I've often said to people, please don't judge me, but I've often said to people. When I've heard people say different things like that, I said, well, be careful how you view that. I said, because for some people, they need to enjoy it. Because this is the only taste of heaven they will ever experience in their life because they do not know where they're going when their life should end. So they better enjoy their Lexus. They better enjoy their 4,000 square foot house. They better enjoy the fact that they can just go buy and a dollar to them is like a thousand dollars to us. They better enjoy it. They better enjoy having the money to just go blow it and spend it. Because they may not be tithers. Now you're like, oh, here he goes. He preaching on tithing. No, I'm not here. That's between you and God. You, 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 you should know that the Bible says you 10% belongs to the Lord. And anything above that, you should just give as an offering unto the Lord. Uh, that's between you and God. That had nothing to do with me. That's you and God. That's a hard issue. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. That's, that's, that's again, between you and God. What I'm saying to you is those same people may not tithe. So the Bible says the people that don't tithe, it's like holding a bag 
a money bag with sand in it, sand in their hands or with a money bag full of holes, what's going to happen is it might be good for a while, but all of a sudden it's going to just evaporate. You say, well, Pastor, they died a millionaire. Yeah, but they died lost. So what did it gain them? What does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and he loses his own soul? He can buy a Rolls Royce. He can buy a Lexus. He can buy a Rolex. He can buy a mansion, but he can't buy heaven. So he can buy all he wants to on this earth, but he cannot buy salvation. He cannot buy an admission ticket. Heaven is not an amusement park where you can go up and for $69.99 buy a one-day pass to get in or for $199 get a year subscription. Heaven is, you don't pay tithes because it's the dues and you don't pay it because it's a, a, a automatic uh, uh, admission ticket to heaven no you pay them and you give to the Lord because you're giving back to God because of the blessings that he has bestowed upon each and every one of us each and every day but what I'm saying to you is you can't buy your way into heaven remember the rich young ruler he asked he said Lord what's it take to get in I'll pay for it I got money Jesus said how about you go sell everything you got give it to the poor come follow me you know what the Bible said he did he left and walked away bitterly, or some translations said he left very sorrowfully because he could not let go of his money. Couldn't let it go. And because he couldn't let it go, it stood between him and God and the opportunity to go to heaven because he couldn't let go. It became his idol, his, his God, if you will, with a little g. What happens is there are people in life, you see them being blessed, don't be jealous. Don't be jealous. I look at a lot of people walking up and down the mall. Let me just help y'all just a couple real quick. I tell you my story this morning about uh, uh, going to the CLM dinner and um, thinking that uh, they didn't know that I preachers own normal people clothes and thought I was I was it was shocked to see that I actually own clothes besides suits and ties. But Brother Randy told me a couple, of, well, when I first got here, he was telling me a story about, you know, sometimes you dress like you know who you are or basically what you want to be like, and they won't ask. He was telling a story to me one time about how uh, somebody got in a car accident, and he'd gotten a suit and tie, and he wasn't a doctor, and he wasn't anything. He walked right in the hospital, walked right past security, walked right past everybody, right up to the room. Nobody asked him a question or anything. He was in a suit and tie. They just thought he looked like one somebody that belonged at the hospital. So they just let him walk on through and didn't ask any questions. They didn't even check him. They just walked right on in because he looked good walking in. And he said it was all about just the look, and, you know, dress and look like you're meant to be there. Well, three Sunday nights ago, I was in a suit, tie, and after church, I was hungry. And so, just like every other day of the week when Brianna and I are together, the argument normally starts, what do you want to eat? To which the other person in the argument says, I don't know, what do you want to eat? To which the initiator of the argument says, I don't care. What do you want to eat? To which the other person says, I don't know. Pick a place and I'll tell you if I want to go. To which the other person says, all right, how about this? No, I don't want to go there. All right, so you do care. No, I really don't care. All right, well, how about this? No, I don't want that either. Okay, well, then you do care. To the point that not too long ago, she and I got so smart, we took a piece of paper about this. It was actually an old, uh, an old uh, uh, envelope about this size right here. And we wrote five restaurants on it. Folded them up, put them in a hat, shook them up, said, draw one out. Whatever you pick, don't say nothing. That's where I'm headed. And we did. Except when she did pick one up, we called them, and there was a long wait, so we had to redraw again. So that kind of messed us up. But, uh, but, but that being said, three Sunday nights ago, I said, hey, babe, uh, what do you want to do? I don't care. So we went to the thing. I said, i tell you what. I'll call the Chinese restaurant in Knightsville, and I'll go pick it up. 
You go on home. I'll swing by, pick it up on the way to your house. All right, same place we always get it from. I'm still talking about this idea of, of purpose and, 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 and looking apart, but people, people want it. The, de- the devil always is trying to create pandemonium and, 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 and create things, but, but, but how the, the everything blends in and, and looking a certain way. So I walk in to the restaurant. There's this guy and this other lady that are about, about as high as a great sequoia in California. They are higher than the Georgia pine. Their eyes are glossier than the crystal sea. They are as happy as a pig in the sunshine, and it's been raining all day long. And they are just living the dream. She is skinnier than this cattail on this plant up here. She's probably tried every substance known to man that's not for medicinal purposes. She don't have one tooth in her head. I mean, not one. Brother Randy's philosophy is they got to at least have three. She didn't even have three. She wouldn't have passed the, t- the test. She didn't even have three. She couldn't even sing all the one for Christmas in the two front teeth. She didn't have one to start with. She had none. She had to be double blessed to just get two teeth. I'm sitting there, my suit, far in. You could just smell it. It reminded me of what it was like growing up at home in Orangeburg. I can get to about 159, 154 on the interstate, and all of a sudden I get the sweet aroma. It's not of worship. It is of reefer around Orangeburg. It is not super sod, but it is made of grass. And I could smell it walking in, and I just knew someone tonight is rolling in the dough, no pun intended. And I'm sitting there minding my own business. This man's cussing up a storm, not that mad, just he just used profanity like it's going out of style. About that time, I'm always sitting, when I go places, I'm always sitting there thinking, God, please don't let him talk to me. That's what's going on in my brain. God, please don't let him talk to me. I know you called us to be ready in season, out of season, go ye therefore in the highways and byways and compel them to come. But God, tonight, can I just be incognito? So I'm sitting there, and sure as you're born, he says, hey, bro, how you doing? I said, I'm good. Who's your favorite football team? I said, oh, I don't, I don't have a NFL. I said, I don't know. Okay, man, I'm about to make me a large amount of money tonight. I bet it on he's going on. I don't even know what he said. He's mumbling. I couldn't even understand what he said. He said to me, he said, I asked you a question. I said, yeah, you asked me a question. You a doctor? I said, no. You must be a lawyer or something. I said, no. He said, well, I know ain't nobody walking around nice clothes like that. There's only three jobs. you either a doctor or a lawyer. He said, if you ain't that, you a pimp, aren't you? I said, no. He said, well, you must have a job where you got to dress up and look nice. He said, I don't know what kind of job that is. He said, but you look like you got money. I said, no, that's no. And he said, I still think that you must be like a a doctor, a lawyer, or something. He said, I tell you what, you must be someone that works like an insurance or something like that. I said, it's something like that. It's kind of like insurance. I try to get people out of trouble. Yeah, something like that. And I was like, the lady's like, order 86. I was like, bingo. And I went and grabbed it and took off running to my car, hoping he didn't follow me. But I sat, when I got in my car, I began to sit. And, you know, I was sitting there, and the car was comical. I was, you know, I got in my car, I was thinking how pitiful and sorrowful. 
But, you know, Daniel's there. He's with his friends. They have this meeting. They're getting the best of some people. They would think, just like this guy thinking about me, man, that man's got it made. He got nice clothes. He's looking good. But he don't realize it. He could have the same thing if he had his heart right. It's not about the nice clothes. This is just clothes, y'all. But when he got his heart right, he could be getting crowns of righteousness. And royal regalia called robes of righteousness draped across his shoulders. He could have stuff too if he just had the right purpose in his heart. Daniel purposed in his heart he was not going to turn his back on God. The Bible said he was so sure that he was not going to defile himself. He wasn't going to allow it to change who he was. And what's funny about this, and we'll talk about this the next time, probably next Sunday night. What's funny about this is you never actually find in Scripture where Daniel asked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, well, he would have known them as Hananiah, Meshach, and Azariah. But we never find in Scripture when he tells the king's eunuch to just give him the, the meat. Daniel said, now he brought it unto Daniel, and Daniel Excuse me, purpose in his heart, he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor the wine which he drank. And he requested the king's, uh, excuse me, the king's eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And God brought favor upon Daniel and tender love to the prince of the eunuch. You never actually read in scripture where Daniel goes and asks Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, do they want to join his little charade here? You'll never read in scripture where he goes to them and says, hey boys. Uh, I'm going to put us to a test. The king's given us meat. I told him, give us ten days. Let us eat some of the, our fruits and vegetables. See what happens. I, 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 uh, uh, how do y'all feel about this? We never find a place in scripture where he asked them. But what Daniel knew is Daniel had walked with them enough in harmony and unity. He had been around them enough. He had went to church with them enough. He knew they were also men of faith. So he didn't have to ask about it. Their lives already matched up what they professed in public. He already knew their testimony spoke for itself. He already knew they were men of faith. He didn't have to ask, do you think? He knew they were going to stand for God. So when he told the king's eunuch, hey, look, I'm not going to defile myself. He didn't have to ask them, hey, do you all want to join? He already knew because they lived that life already before the people. And you'll, we'll hear in a couple uh, next week, we'll hear and talk about how that they come up with this plan of not defiling themselves but Daniel never asked but you never also find where Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah we never find in scripture where they actually said no they wouldn't do it nor do we find that they had a discussion with Daniel nor do we find they ever said hey why'd you speak for us on our behalf you, you should have asked us we never hear any dissension among them you know why because it's real simple when you walk, the Bible says, how can two walk together unless they agree? The Bible says, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. The Bible says, God is not the author of confusion. See, that's how I know Daniel didn't have to ask. He had been around them so enough, they had prayed together enough, fasted together enough beforehand 
read the Word of God together enough, even before captivity ever started. They had went to Sunday school enough together, Sunday night church together. They had been together enough that Daniel already knew the kind of men he was associating himself with. He already knew he hung out with good people. The Bible says, the Bible is very careful. Be, cho- be careful in who you choose because bad, co- uh, bad company will corrupt good character. Or one translation says hanging out with the wrong people will give you bad, uh, people with bad intentions will corrupt good morals or moral intentions. Meaning you can hang out with people and it will affect your testimony to the world. They'll be able to say like, well, wow, I mean, I thought they said they were a Christian. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that you're not supposed to hang out with people. Man, they kind of hang out with people that kind of puts a little marring on that testimony a little bit. But Daniel didn't have to do that. He knew the caliber of men that he associated himself with that is why it is so important that we as the body of Christ we know who we can count on when we need prayer we know who to count on when we need someone to fast on our behalf we know who we can count on as someone that's going to come alongside of us and walk beside us and help us sometimes it shouldn't have to be a matter of hey will you sometimes we should already know before I ever pick up the phone if I just send a text message out and say I'm struggling people like Dennis Clark or Randy Ertzberger or Larry White's going to pray I don't have to call them directly I just need to know they're already on the other line praying before they even text it back because we have to be a body of believers that come together and understand that it's sometimes it's hard and sometimes it may not seem fair, but we must continue to persevere and press on. We have to keep doing what is right even when the world says we're doing it wrong. We have to do it right. As you stand all over the house tonight, I want to challenge you today on this principle it's not always going to be easy to do right when the world says you're wrong I'm not just talking about vaccines and masks I'm talking about in general we have seen for years and even more so now that if you're not with them they consider you against them and they will publicly crucify you And make you a martyr for the agenda. But isn't that what they did to Jesus? Jesus says I can't stand for this. In fact the Bible tells us all the way back in Genesis. That there was a time period. The Bible says that God regretted the day. That he ever made man. Before he found Noah. You go back and read it. The Bible says the Lord looked to and fro over the earth. And the Lord regretted the day. What a sad picture. The God of the cosmos, the one who formed and fashioned us out of the dust of the earth and breathed life into us, the one who made us different than any other creation in all of, be- of created beings, got to a point that he said, I wish I'd have never done it. But the Bible says, but Noah, not the world, not the government, one man, but Noah, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I do believe with all my heart that if Noah for those 120 years he preached while building the ark, if anybody else would have really truly heard the message and gave the heart to Jesus and believed in the same God noted, I don't believe God would have let him drown. I believe God would have let him come on the ark of safety too. But they didn't. They wanted to do their own agenda, live their own way, do their own thing. Is that not where we're living at today? People want to do their own agenda. 
live their own way, do their own thing. They don't want you to tell them sin is sin. Hello. They don't want you to tell them wrong is wrong. They don't want you to call them out. They want you to condone their sin. They want you to preach and they want God to bless their sin because they don't want to feel convicted of their sin. By the time Noah gets done, it don't take very long. A couple generations pass. We get to the very first chapter of Judges. There rose up a generation who knew not the Lord, nor his mighty acts. And men did right in their own eyes. You think we're living in a day where men do what's right in their own eyes? They don't want anybody else to tell them anything different. They want to do what's right in their own eyes. They're their own moral character and judgment. But then about 2,000 plus years ago, somebody transcended heaven and earth. A couple weeks we will celebrate, even though he wasn't technically born in December, we will celebrate the fact that he showed up as a baby. The God incarnate, clothed in human flesh, come down, born of a high school teenager, unwed, pregnant mom in high school. Trying to explain to a family that she has shamed them by getting pregnant out of wedlock. Explain to a fiance she's pregnant and he ain't the baby's daddy. And he got to explain to his mom and daddy he's about to marry a girl who got pregnant that he was supposed to be marrying who he wasn't supposed to be, she wasn't supposed to be pregnant. And he even had the right to that culture standard to stone her for such infidelity. But was a good man in terms of wanting to put her away quietly. But in all of that she's having to explain to the world I'm carrying a child that's not a man-made child, this is God's child, like they're going to believe her in that. A young teenage girl carrying the stresses of being a mom. When that baby arrived, that baby grew up. The Bible said he grew up in wisdom and stature, found favor with God and man. By the time he was 12, he is astounding scholars. By the time he's 30, he's performing miracles that you can't even explain. Water into wine, deaf ears being opened, blinded eyes being opened, dead people walking out of their tombs. Everybody's blessed. He's feeding 5,000 plus men and women, and plus women and children, probably 15, 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish. One day he got seven loaves and a couple more fish, fed 4,000 plus women and children. Brought people's loved ones back from the grave. People that had infirmities for over 12 years instantaneously healed even though they had spent every dollar they had going to every specialist in Charleston County. Couldn't find one, but in one good Holy Ghost filled service got saved and changed. See, I still believe in that stuff. You can go to all, I'm not saying you don't go to the doctor. Don't miss what I'm about to say. The Bible proves to me in that one story alone, you can go to all the specialists you want to and spend all you have and get no relief, but you can go to one good church service and pray one good time at an altar and God can do what nobody else can do like that. And it didn't cost you anything except a little bit of time. But came the day, Brother Gill, everybody's crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Following him like crazy, masses of people. But once he starts overturning money tables and changers, money changers in the temple, cracking whips and calling God's house a house of prayer and telling people they're going to be lost. And that he is God that has come down to reconcile what the first Adam did. He's to be the second. And reconcile God to man. They quickly, the cries went from Hosanna to crucify him because he was calling them out. 
because they liked him until he started saying, but you religious elite, you're like whitewashed tombs. You got dead men's bones in you, but you're trying to look good. You got a nice looking plate and bowl on the end, cup on the outside, but it's filthy on the inside. You're a brood of vipers and you're a bunch of scorpions. That, they didn't like that too well. So they plotted to have him killed. And they did. If you're not with them, against them. But he still had to do what was right even when everybody else said he was wrong. Pilate gave him one final chance. Who do you want me to lease, this man or Barabbas? They took the notorious murderer and thief Barabbas. He even brings Jesus in the inner chamber and almost as if to say, just denounce what you've said. Man, I don't want to kill you either. Just tell me. Is it true? Are you the son of God? Please, just, just don't even say it. Just, man, come on, just say no so that I'll have to. Just, come on, man. Jesus says, it is as you say that I am. I am he. Pilate's wife even says, man, I'm Pilate. I haven't been sleeping at night. This is a good man. Y'all better, you better not mess with this man. I'm telling you, I've been messed up with dreams. He's a good man. But Pilate listened to the applause of man rather than the wisdom of God. He did not do what was right even when it was wrong because when he stepped over the bow, they said one thing and it changed it. And here's what they said. If you can't handle this matter, we'll take it to Caesar. Caesar is our only God. You know what they say? See, if you go back and look at history, the reason that pierced Pilate's soul is Pilate was already on thin ice according to history. Caesar was getting ready to come in and have Pilate killed because of the insurrection that was going on in the Judean and Jerusalem area. The Romans were trying to stay a whole control, have a controlled foothold, but the Jews were revolting. And Pilate had a lot of insurrections under his watch. And Herod, and they had a lot of stuff going on. And Caesar was getting ready to drop the hammer. And Pilate knew if they go to Caesar and tell, my head would be on the chopping block. And he was afraid of what man can do. But you know what the Bible said? Don't be afraid of who can kill the body. But be afraid of the one who can not only kill the body, but also destroy the soul. And he sentenced him to death. As we get ready to pray, here's my thing to you tonight. See, it's not always right. It's not always easy to do right. Because sometimes they're going to tell you you're wrong. But I'm telling you that even when it seems like you're all alone, it may not seem like much. If you take that one little light right there, even though there's about, oh, I don't know, 25 bulbs on that screen. If I turned all the lights out of this building, except one, that one light is still pretty powerful. Because it shines enough light to let me still see, even a little bit, in the darkness. It may not light up the room like we're in right now, but that one light will give me enough light that I can see in the darkness enough to find my way out of this building. See, they... Now, all those lights working together would be great. That's what the body of Christ should be doing, working together. But I'm here to tell you that even when the world is, if you will, has their lights turned on, the Bible says darkness and light have no business being together because he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Even when the world's all turned off to the gospel, turned off to the right things, turned off to moral truth, turned off to absolute truth, turned off to our agenda of promoting Christ, if you'll just keep your light shining, even in the darkness, you might think you're all alone, but you'd be surprised how much of your light will actually pierce the darkness and be more effective than you realize, even if you're all alone. And I conclude with this final word from Christ. Therefore, let your light so shine for men that they may see your good works, but in return also glorify your heavenly Father.
which is in heaven. No man takes a light, a candle, and sticks it under a bush or under a, a basket. But he stands up on top of the hill and lets it light so that all can see him. You are the light of the world, a city set upon a hill. Let your light shine. We used to teach to our kids, didn't we? We'd give them little flickering lights or little incandescent light bulbs or flashlights or waxless candles. We'd sing them all around church. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. We'd sing it and we'd tell them, we'd tell all the little kids, hey, don't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan blow it out. I'm, you know, I, I said, I was thinking when I was preparing this message, maybe I should sing that as, a, as, a, as the you know, main song on one Sunday morning. And when everybody looks at me like, what in the world is wrong with the preacher? I can say, but isn't there more truth to that than we realize? This little light of mine, I should be letting it shine. I should be doing right, no matter what, even when everybody else says it's wrong. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to share your word once again with your people. Father, God, we've had a good day in your presence. We've got to spend time with you. We've got to worship you. We've got to laugh. We've got to pray together. We've got to hear words of encouragement and accolades and, Lord, sweet, if you will, uh, uh, admiration bestowed upon undeserving people. But, Lord, I would be amiss to leave this place today if I did not say that the star of today or the guest of honor for today or the most important person of the day that should be lauded with praise and honored and appreciated is you as the spirit of God and the savior of this world and the lover of our souls and the one who gave his life for us we could not do it without you God, so as we get ready to disembark in this place tonight, and the words of our mouths and meditations of our hearts been acceptable and pleasing in your sight, and you bless us and keep us, and your face shine upon us, and be gracious to us, and lift up your countenance upon us, and give us the peace of God that surpasses understanding. God, I also ask today that you would help us to stand out as a light into this world, and ultimately, God, help us to always do right, even when it seems by the world's standards to be wrong. As every man, woman, boy, or girl gets ready to leave this place under the sound of my voice and head to and fro their destinations and go to their humble places of abode, I pray protection over every man, woman, boy, or girl in this house tonight. I pray you would be with us this week, bring us back safely on Wednesday night for worship together. And Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be able to have a wonderful time the next appointed time, bring us back safely on Sunday to worship together as we would get ready to be starting the Thanksgiving week and celebration of the season of Thanksgiving. We will forever give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Christ's name we pray and ask all these things. The people of God together said amen. Amen. I love you. I am praying for you. God bless you. Hope to see you Wednesday night for Bible study. If not, we'll see you next Sunday.